So refine it. Don't give up on it. Refine it and polish it and mitigate the risks and get clear on what it is and how you're going to do it. And then the anxiety and the fears go away because they're there designed to help you transform fantasies into true objectives. You're listening to the High Performance Health Podcast, helping you optimize your health, performance, and longevity. My name is Angela Foster, and I'm a former corporate lawyer and high performance health coach. Each week, I bring you cutting edge biohacks, inspiring insights, and high performance habits to unlock optimal health, performance, and longevity. So excited that you've chosen to join me today. Now let's dive in. Hi friends, I hope if you are in the UK you have had a lovely bank holiday weekend. It's got that distinct kind of back to school feeling at the moment Uh, and we're looking ahead at Q4. It's a fantastic time to be working on your vision and your purpose and your goals. It's what I'm doing with my program members and clients and it really helps us to finish out 2023 strong and I have the perfect podcast to help you do that today. We're talking about the power of the mind and synchronicity and how to really live a purposeful life and give yourself permission to be authentic to what you truly value and how your energy and vitality is proportionate to the vividness of your vision. My guest is Dr. John Martini, who is a polymath and a world-renowned human behavior expert. He's an internationally published author, global educator, and founder of the Martini Method, which is a revolutionary tool in modern psychology. And his vision is to share knowledge and wisdom that empowers you to become a master of your own life and destiny. I loved our conversation. You'll hear about the synchronicities, in fact, between Dr. Martini and myself. And um, we had a lot of fun on this episode. I hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, let me introduce you now to Dr. John Martini. So John, I am so excited to be here with you today. We were just talking offline how much your work has inspired me. I know it will have inspired many of my listeners listening to this. Firstly, a very warm welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. I was looking forward to this. So I appreciate the comment and look forward to our interview. Awesome. Um, So I know you have studied deeply the science of success and really what distinguishes people who have success in one field or another and those that don't. Um, You've spent thousands and thousands of hours, I think, in this and also not just studying it, researching it, teaching it and leading the field on this. Let's let's start there with a bit about your background and, and how you got into this. I was a long-haired hippie surfer on the North Shore of Oahu in, in the 70, early 70s, 1972. And I nearly died in a surfing situation. And I was led in the recovery of that to a health food store and then to a yoga class. And a yoga mm-hmm. class had a guest speaker named Paul C. Bragg. Probably some people have listened and heard of Bragg's amino acids and things like that, Bragg's products. But Paul C. Bragg, one night, one hour, with one message, uh, catapulted a new trajectory in my life. And that was the first night I actually believed that maybe I could overcome my learning problems and learn how to read and speak properly. Because I was a, a dropout, school dropout. I left home at a young age and was a surfer. And I didn't think I could ever read. I never read a book till I was 18, until after I met him. I actually tried to read at 18. I had to go back and learn how to do that. So I had learning problems, dyslexia and speech impediments. I was going to speech pathologist as a young baby. And here I was, I met this gentleman and he inspired me to believe that I could basically become an intelligent individual. And 
I thought of an intelligent individual, somebody who taught. So I thought I want to be travel the world. I want to teach. I want to learn how to read. I want to speak. I want to learn how to write properly. And here I am 51 <laughs> years almost later. <laughs> and I yeah, teach yeah. research, I travel. And that's, that's, I've been on that track since 1972. Living the life of your dreams. What did he say to you that, that was so life-changing? Well, he had an impact on me. He said many things. He said, first of all, that we have a body, we have a mind, and he called it the soul. So he had a background in the theological background. And the body must be directed by the mind, and the mind must be guided by the soul in order to maximize human awareness and potential in life. And he said that if you're going to set a goal, you want to set a goal for your 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 yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world, and beyond for 100 to 120 years. Nobody ever talked to me like that. That was new to me. And then he said that whatever you think about, whatever you visualize, whatever you affirm, whatever you feel, whatever you write down, and whatever you plan, and whatever you take actions on becomes your reality. Hmm. So he was the secret behind the secret way before the secret came about. And I stayed with him that night, the night I met him, and then the next three weeks, I, I hitchhiked to the other side of the island just to hang out with him and to go because he had classes every morning. And I learned a lot from this guy about, you know, how to set goals and achieve goals and, and how to accomplish what really deep inside you want to accomplish. So he was a, a significant mentor uh, without him even knowing it because I, when I left him, I never saw him again. But I did befriend his daughter and one of the most honorable moments in my life was when she came up to me in Hawaii, when I went back to Hawaii many years later, and she came into the back of my class and found out I was speaking and came in the back of the room and then came up at a break and held my hands. And she was four foot seven. And she said, she said, you remind me of my father. You inspired me today. Man, I just got tears in my eyes. I go, wow, what a oh, great wow. thing to hear from the, the daughter of the individual father that inspired me. And then she then contacted my daughter and my daughter follows in my footsteps because she carried on his work till the past. So her passing, she's still carrying on her, his work and my daughter's carrying on my work. So she had an impact on my daughter just as, as her father had an impact on me. Giving me goosebumps right there. That's amazing. Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also that, yeah, both your daughters, his daughter, your daughter also involved. Um, yeah. There's quite a few things that you've just mentioned already that I, that I want to get into. I think we'll come back to what we affirm. Um, I've heard you talk about the fact that purpose is the key driver, right? It's the top level thing we need to be thinking about um, and is a, a big determining factor, I believe. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in terms of whether or not we achieve our goals. And it's something that I think when you were interviewed in the movie, The Secret, they left out. They, did, they didn't mention this part. I'd yeah, we, we filmed that. seven and a half hours. I filmed <laughs> seven and a half hours for that movie. And I was in there for about a minute. And they just took, you know, a tiny bit of it. But we certainly addressed it, but we didn't get to have it in the movie because it wasn't matching in everything that was people were saying. So, but I thought it was an important part. Yeah, can you explain more purpose? Because I think when people hear that word, it's a little bit like mission. Many, many people struggle with it, right? It's kind of like, well. I don't know. What is my purpose? Um, I, I now feel very grateful and lucky that I am 
you know, my in a purpose-driven business. And, and it's my mission to kind of inspire and, and help women. Um, but it wasn't like that for a long time. I was, as I said to you earlier, I was a corporate lawyer and I, I definitely hadn't found my purpose. How do we go about finding what our purpose is? Well, I've been blessed to do that for a lot of years now, for half a, mm. half a century. And uh, so one thing I can, I feel pretty confident about is that every human being lives moment by moment uh, with a set of priorities or values, things that are most to least important in their life, that is like a fingerprint specific for them. And that set of values, that hierarchy of values, that set of priorities, whatever's highest on that list is an intrinsic value that they spontaneously are inspired to fulfill. And I'll use an analogy of a young boy who loves video games. You don't need to motivate him to go do his video game. He spontaneously does his video game. But as you go down the list of values, it's a lower and lower values. They become gradually more and more extrinsic. And you require motivation, incentive, and reminding from external sources with rewards if you do it, punishment if you don't, in order to get you to do it. So you, she, the mother has to say, well, if you don't do your homework, uh, you can't play the video games. Once you do, you can play your video games. So there's an external motivation, and that's less efficient than an intrinsic drive. So the highest value which Aristotle in his time wrote about and called it the telos, which is the end in mind. And Hartman called the most non-derivative value, the most intrinsic value, the thing that we feel is a calling in life is that highest value. That is the very cornerstone of our purpose in life. Our purpose is an expression of what we value most. And it is something that we spontaneously love and are inspired to do. And our life demonstrates it. But when people compare themselves to other people and put them on pedestals and minimize themselves, they inject the values of others, which cloud the clarity of what their own calling is. And then they end up confusing themselves with what they feel is their, their mission and purpose. And they go around and say, I don't know what my mission is. I don't know what my purpose is. But in actuality, their life is demonstrating it, but they're not honoring it because they're thinking they should be doing something else and ought to be doing something else and living by imperatives that have injected from outer authorities. So it's so important to give yourself permission to not subordinate to outer authorities, but to give yourself permission to be authentic according to what you value most and to prioritize your life in such a way that you're doing something that's deeply meaningful in a way that serves people in a sustainable, fair exchange manner and delegate lower party things if you wanted a life of inspiration and a life of meaning and purpose. Very important to prioritize your life. If you don't fill your day with high priority actions that inspire you, that you spontaneously love doing, your day is going to fill up with low priority distractions that are going to undermine that potential. And do you expect these to sort of change throughout someone's life uh, when we're looking at their purpose? Is that, is that something that changes regularly? Yes. I tell people I have a value determining process on my website on drdmartin.com that's uh, it's free, it's complimentary, everybody, millions of people have used it. And it's, it's great to go through there and do the exercise. It's about 30 minutes of your time to take a look. It, it's asking you 13 questions to help discern what your life is demonstrating you're spontaneously committed to. Not your ideals, not, oh, I should be doing this, I want to be doing this, I fantasize that. 
but what your life demonstrates. And going through that is, is in my opinion, a wise thing to do because it, it helps you discern what is real, what your life demonstrates, not the fantasies you impose on yourself. If I ask people, how, want to be, how many want to be financially independent? Everybody puts a hand up. If I ask how many of it are, their all hands go down. So what people say they want and what they're actually demonstrating in their decisions in life are two different things in most cases. So that's the first place to start because our highest value, our identity revolves around, our teleological purpose revolves around, and the area of our expertise revolves around it. And giving ourselves permission to, to, to go in that direction is important. But yes, it's evolving. Uh, when you're zero to 10, you probably want to play. When you're 10 to 20, you probably want to socialize a bit. You're 20 to 30, you probably want to find a career and a relationship. And you're 30 to 40, you probably want to settle down and have your own business and maybe your own family. 40 to 50, you may want to, you know, explore. And some people, you know, are thinking, well, I'm going through an identity crisis, mid-life crisis. But each year you can, in decade, you can see gradual tweaks. But in some people, they find out at a very young age and they know what it is and they stay on it. I met a guy who was 13 years old, had read every book on brain surgery by 13, was already in with doctors working on brain surgery and watching. And he knew at three that he wanted to be the greatest brain surgeon in the world. And he went on to excel way ahead of his schedule. But he knew at, at a very young age what he wanted to do. I met another girl that knew at six what she wanted to do. And she went on and signed $2.2 million deals with Disney to go and do what she wanted to do. Another boy who was eight years old and is now... I mean, doing unbelievable things. He's a, like a savant in his field. So, yeah, some people get really clear on it at a young age, some people much later. But but whatever it is, the day is the day. Be grateful for that day. So that's the time. But finding it is very empowering because you now have an intrinsic drive and you don't need extrinsic motivation. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution for mastery of life. Intrinsic drive is way more powerful. If you listen to this podcast, you're probably like me, a busy mum, entrepreneur, biohacker, or other high performer. And that requires a huge amount of energy and resilience to deal with life's challenges on a daily basis. There are two key supplements that I love that help me to do this. The first is Biostat Labs NAD Regen, which supports NAD in the body. NAD is known as the molecule of youth and is critical for energy. Taking NAD Regen helps me maintain high energy every day so I can achieve more in my business and also show up better for my family, all while protecting my longevity and avoiding burnout. The second is GDAID, Biostat Labs' unique blood sugar formulation. Managing your blood sugar is also essential for high energy cognition and longevity. GDAID combines dihydroberberine, often called nature's metformin, with the very best ingredients for all-round metabolic health. This product is like having your cake and eating it. I take NAD Regen in the morning and GDA just before my most carb-heavy meal of the day to blunt the glucose spike. And now I want to help you to support your energy, metabolism, and longevity so you can truly show up as your best self. So I've organized a unique offer for you, my listeners, that's not available anywhere else. When you purchase two bottles of NAD Regen, Biostat Labs will send you a free bottle of GDA. Simply go to biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your free bottle. That's biostatlabs.com forward slash Angela to get your exclusive offer. I'm in-
inviting you to join our newly opened High Performance Health Facebook group, where we're all about unlocking our utmost potential. If you are a fellow biohacker, a coach, or a woman with an entrepreneurial spirit looking for peak performance, then our community of ambitious women is just for you. But it's not just about connecting with like-minded women. It's about empowering each other. We have weekly live training, Q&As, and a bunch of other exclusive content that I don't get the chance to share anywhere else. New biohacks I'm exploring, plus extra nuggets of wisdom from my podcast guests, and so much more. It's free to join. Simply click the top link in the show notes or go to angelafoster.me forward slash HPH. That's angelafoster.me forward slash HPH or click the top link in the show notes. And once inside, send me a message so we can connect personally. I can't wait to see you there. It's super interesting. I mean, when you look at children who find this very early, why do you think that is? Do you think that they are somehow more developed in their thinking or? I don't know. You know, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time at 17 to meet this guy that woke it up. He took me through this guided imagery meditation experience. And I saw a vision of me standing in front of a million people speaking. It was, you know, maybe a dissociative identity disorder or something at the time. I don't know. It was, but it was a, tear-jerking, heart-opening, eureka moment. And I thought, okay, that's my destiny. I had it painted by a famous painter um, who went on to do that on a painting. I could pull it up if you wanted, but but it's an amazing painting of exactly what I saw when I was 17 years old about, and it's, and it's a million people in a giant square with an iconic building from every major city around the world. I just felt it was destined to go out it's the name of the painting is called a man on a mission with a vision and a message. And I'm a firm believer that that's, that's inside all of us. Mm. I've helped thousands of people uh, wake that up by narrowing down what their values are and structuring their life in priority and learning how to do something that's remunerated in a fair exchange. So they can't wait to do it in a way that serves people and get pay, paid to do it, to delegate lower priority things. It, 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 people take off when they do that. It could be businesses. I've seen it in acting. I've seen it in singing industry. I mean, there's, there's people in almost every field that once they get it, it's they really take off. I've, I've watched a guy go from uh, $75,000 a year to major, major motion pictures. And, and within eight years, he's now at the top of his field. And, and just because they really get clear, that it's they become unstoppable. They build incremental momentum towards something that's really crystal clear in their mind about what they want to create in life. And your vitality in life is directly proportioned to the vividness of your vision. And when you get clear on your vision, which is a sign of living by highest values, the way the forebrain works, the medial prefrontal cortex, the moment you live by your highest priority, the blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain, activates the medial prefrontal cortex. It activates the associative areas in the visual cortex, and you see it. You clarify it. You're having a gamma synchronicity in, a, in the brain and a real clarity of vision. And people that do that, they, they take off. I mean, they're, whether they're singers or actors or business people, they take off. And I love helping people do that. That's one of my favorite things to do in life. Because as you know, I mean, you, you know, when you're doing the podcast, when you get feedback from people, hey, you changed my life. It's heart opening. It's tear jerking. It's, it's the most meaningful and fulfilling things we get to do in life. And so that's, you know, helping people find their real, their North Star is, is they, they take off. They don't need motivation anymore. 
people that need motivation are doing something that's an immediate gratifying amygdala driven impulse that's you know a temporary passion instead of a real mission it's very true it's very true every i must say every day i wake up excited to work in some way on what i'm doing on on helping yes yeah and it and why not why why, it comes from inside as you say yeah yeah it's insane you know i'm amazed at how many people go well i i do a job i i get in you know, and sometimes car services, because I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I've delegated everything except teach, research, write, and travel. <laughs> I don't <laughs> do anything else. I'm, I'm pretty useless outside that. I'm traveling right now. You know, I'm in different countries on my ship. But but what's interesting is I'll get in a car service, for instance. I'll say, how long have you been driving the car? And they'll go, oh, two years or something like that. Do you love it? And they'll look in the mirror and they'll go, either, are you kidding, man? Pays the bills. Or, yeah, I love it. My father did this. My grandfather did this. And, you know, I just, here's my card and, and it's really clean and it's really well manic, you know, taken care of. And you can see when they're engaged and inspired and, and it's something they love. It shows uh, when, when it's not, you can see it's like going into a New York taxi. It's filthy or smelly or whatever compared to a, somebody who's really engaged. So helping people engage in, in any, you, anybody, we go to a restaurant, we see people that are engaged, they're we want to refer people to them. Go, go ask for this waiter. Or when you go to a salesperson, that you, you'll go back and you'll, you'll, you'll generate. It's automatically, magnetically, charismatically, you know, drawing us in when people are authentic and inspired by what they do in life. It's really powerful. So helping people find that is one of the most significant things I think we can all do. Amazing. So the first stage is for people to start uh, with the, the quiz that you have on your on your website, right, to help them find I, I, what their purpose is. Out of all the things I've been doing, I've been studying values for 45 years. And because uh, I asked the question when I was 23, uh, you know, what is it? Why is it that some people walk their talk and some people limp their life? And why is it that people set up these these grandiose things and then have depression and beat themselves up and think they're sabotaging and all that stuff? And it was it's very simple. If you set goals and objectives, not fantasies that are congruent, aligned with what you value most, you increase the probability of making that incrementally momentum building achievements. And if you set a goal that is low on your values, you will only do it if it's comfortable. And the second it gets difficult, you'll give up. And if you can't embrace the support and the challenge equally in the pursuit of a purpose, you're going to hold yourself back. And then you're going to blame things on the outside and look for solutions on the outside instead of look within. And the real source is always within. Always within. And what about when you are valuing things that are both very important to you? So for example, if I, if I take my own life at the moment, um, I, I absolutely love what I do. I also value my family very highly. So I have youngish children, they're, they're growing up, um, but they still, I, I love to spend time with them. I don't want to miss this stage. And I always want to make sure that I have enough time with them. I guess that element for me, and yet there's so much passion that I pour into my work, is trying to make sure that I give enough to both is probably the area that I feel I, I need to work on the most to make sure, because I really, really genuinely value them both. And I know that my work continues, right, and can continue and, and continue to expand uh, over the next decade and beyond. My children will grow and leave home, start their own lives, and and I'll always be a part of it. I can't quite have that this stage. Uh, what would you say to someone listening? I'm sure there's many many listeners in that position. Well, there is, and and it's a great question because 
any in the hierarchy of values of an individual, anytime two values are closer together, they enhance each other perceptually. And anytime they're separated for by distance, they tend to perceive perceptively hinder each other. So the, the greatest question is to ask is how specifically is spending time with my children helping me in my business career? And how specifically is spending time in my business career helping my children and answer that a hundred times each? And that question will be over with. You will be able to be, because you will then, once the mind sees them linked and associated in the brain contiguously, they will automatically enhance each other. So if you're spending time with the kid, the business is, is it takes off. If you're doing business, your kids are getting inspired because there's a link between those. And you're actually engaged in seeing those not separate, but see them as two, two aspects, like a subsidiary of a holding company. You actually see them instead of dividing up and juggling two balls. They're now part of one mission. So you make a link between those two values and they enhance each other. I've done that on hundreds of occasions where people are feeling like, particularly women that are trying to raise beautiful children at a young, young age and starting their career. How do I juggle those? And then the key is to prioritize both. Don't do desperate things with the children. Don't do desperate things at work. Do the highest priority, most productive, most meaningful things at work and do the highest priority, priority productive and meaningful things at home and delegate in both settings things that are redundant. For instance, I had a lady that <clears throat> had two children. She was a doctor. She, When she got to her second child, she's almost stopped doctoring and I'm going to do this. And then she was resenting that because her husband was getting to doctor and, but I want to be with the kids. And she was torn between these two things. And I said, make a list of everything you do with the children. We made a list right there on the spot. There's about 70 things. I said, now, which one of those things is absolutely essential that you do it, that you believe is actually meaningful engagement with a child? And she says, the dialogue, the interaction, sometimes the cooking, and sometimes this, the rest of this, I could just I don't want to do. I hate doing. I said, well, then hire somebody to do that. <laughs> hire somebody to do the cleaning and everything else because you're pushing them in front of a video game while you're doing the cleaning because otherwise they're bugging you. So, so, so she prioritized the things at home, prioritized some things at work, spent higher quality time back at work, higher quality time with the kids, and let the other stuff that she was doing that she thought was important as a mother and let go of it. Because the book that she read about how to be the ideal mother was written by a woman that didn't have an income source potential that she did. She could make $500 to $1,000 an hour as a doctor. And this lady didn't have that education. So she was full-time children. And then projecting that value onto this the reader. And the reader now thinks, well, if I'm not full-time child, uh, child rearer, I'm not a good mother. And that's not so. You're a fantastic mother. And the children are going to get information by you being going and being a doctor too. They're going to learn things that they're not going to learn if you're just home all day. And you're going to, and she was also projecting expectations, a husband to come home and do some of those things that she didn't want to do. And he was now having to work twice as hard because they had a bigger house and she was now not working. So she prioritized, delegated, got onto the thing, put, I think she put to four hours or five hours a week into practice again. So she felt like she didn't get way behind there. And she had some people helping her at home. And now she was had more income for their education, more income for taking trips, more time to actually be with the kids, less time doing trivial things that you can pay somebody $25 an hour to do. Yeah. Changed her life, linked the two together, empowered both of them, became more prioritized, and was grateful for her husband and herself and her kids. And had quality time in both. Had yeah. quality time. 
more mm -hmm. time, actually more time. Because when she stopped and we really looked at how she was actually spending the time with the kids, it was not what she was pretending initially. She was actually doing low priority stuff around the house and doing these little errands and stuff and cleaning this and doing, she believed that she had to have cotton diapers. I mean, because that's <laughs> what they wrote about in the book. So she had to clean diapers. Well, yeah. a, a doctor cleaning diapers doesn't make any sense, but somebody helping her clean diapers and going and taking a school book and going through and educating a child in a school book where she's engaging and interacting with her child is way more important than doing diapers, mm -hmm. but she can have somebody else clean her diapers. So, and then she worked four or five hours a week and she would make an extra five, 60,000 or so a year. And then she could put some to education, some to trips, some to the nanny and, and, and the husband is now not feeling pressured. I got to be home and do diapers because she had to do them. It was crazy. And we yeah. just prioritized and delegated, got back onto priority and allowed her to fulfill her, her objective of really being quality time with her kids, educating her kids, doing things amazing with her kids and spending time with her husband and still working. Yeah. And what's really interesting is what you're saying is that whether it was a book or it could be in, in, a, in a situation, maybe that that woman's own mother who conditioned a certain way that was there is someone else's beliefs, uh, which she which she needed to let go of. I want to come now then to, we have like, if, you, if we know our purpose, right, and you have an exercise to help people do that. Um, and then you're talking there about having a vision and affirming what you believe. This is This is a bit where I think, we can get people can get stuck. So when we're talking about a vision, you very much there, you described an artist who painted your vision from what you said. This is a vision you held or hold in your mind. Do you have it there? Let me see if I can pull it up real quick and I'll just show it to okay. you. So this, yeah, this was painted by Andrew Tischler, Andrew Tischler in Melbourne, Australia, at a live seminar that I presented and I didn't know that he, he came up to me afterwards and he says, I was inspired by your story about your vision and I'd like to paint it. So this is what he painted. But it's an iconic building from every yeah. major city in the world. Yeah, it's amazing. And it was a, a, man, a man on a mission with a vision and a message. That's the title of it. It's five foot by four foot. It sits in my office as you walk in. And when you had that, before he painted it, right, you're holding this vision in your mind. He's kind of like, effectively articulated that through his art right with every building from from the cities but in your mind what were you seeing before that picture were you seeing yourself inspiring others right that exact painting with the no, cities I saw, I, I saw myself standing on a balcony I, I was sharing this in Melbourne, Australia to about 1400 people and he happened to be in the audience and he came up afterwards and asked if he could paint what he, what he perceived me when I described it so I was describing the vision that night with tears in my eyes, and he captured it. I was blown away by it. The only thing he did different was he saw me at the age that he saw me on stage. So that's the image I was. I was 17 when I saw, <laughs> saw this vision, but I was out on that balcony speaking, and I was talking about the power we have inside us to heal. I had a message for healing at the time. And to do this, when we're talking about visioning it, envisioning it, if we hold it in our mind, do we need then to have uh, an image that's on a vision board or something like that? Like, so this is where I think sometimes it can feel 
like difficult for people when they're trying to conceptualize something. Like I want, let's say someone's just thinking an easy example, a dream house. I remember interviewing John Asaraf and we were talking about the fact that he had this dream house he wanted to move to. I think he'd put it on a vision board, tucked it away. And then he moved with his son and his little boy opened up this box. And in the packing box was the image of the house. And he was like, my God, I'm actually in the house that I had had put down. That's kind of hard, right? Maybe people can't think of the exact house. Can it be that they, it's kind of like the type of house they want to live in, for example? Or what, what would you say here? How exact do we need to be in this vision? And does it need to be actually physical or just in our mind? Well, the master is one who focuses on every finer detail. And our vitality is strictly proportional to the vividness of our vision, the clarity and the details. So the greater the details, the greater the probability of achieving it. I'll give you an example. When I was uh, 20 years old, going on 21, I watched a movie by the great Houdini. And I can show the picture of this. I could bring it up too also. But I saw him performing and doing the Chinese water torture chamber presentation where they put him in this water and they lock him and shackle him and everything else in a straight jacket and put him underwater and he has to figure out how to escape. And he pulls it off. And he comes out. And there's 2,000 people at the Palladium in London that he's performing in front of. And the upper left balcony is two people from the royal family. And so he's bowing with a standing ovation. And then bows again to the royalty. And the movie, I thought it, I just got tears in my eyes. I said, I want to perform at the Palladium. I, I just knew, I knew it was destined to me to perform there. Now, this is when I was 20, 21 years old. In 2008, I got asked to speak at the Palladium. 2,000 something people were there with two people in the royalty in the upper left balcony. And I gave a standing ovation. I got a standing ovation and I, and I bowed exactly as in that video. I've got a picture of it. It's amazing. So I saw that in my mind's eye and held that in my mind's eye. And we could say, well, that's a slow manifestation, 32 years or so, you know, but it manifested. And it was I mean, almost identical to the vision. So the innermost dominant thought definitely becomes your outermost tangible reality. And, it, and the details, any detail you leave out is a detail that somebody else puts in and clouds it. Because nobody has dedicated their life. Nobody out there in the world is dedicated to your fulfillment and what's most important to you. They're projecting what they believe is important to them onto you and trying to get you to fit into their world. So if you're not clear about it, you don't master plan your life and you don't live by design. You're going to live by duty, subordinating to the influences of all the injected values of people who are opportunists. So giving yourself permission to shine and stand out with a very clear vision and refining that and polishing that I think it's very powerful. You know, you, if you, when you start with what you know and then let what you know grow. When I help people get clear on a vision, whether it's on a vision board, a vision book, or whatever they're going to use on it, or just doing it in their mind like Phelps does when he swims, he sees every detail in detail. And, and therefore, he's prepared for everything. He's mitigated the risks, and he's got the strategies in his mind already. That's why the occipital... Visual five and V6 areas of the brain, when they come online, when we're living by our highest values, we have the most amount of visual detail that we can create in our minds and navigate them three-dimensionally into what we want. And being clear about that is, without a doubt, it, to our advantage to be clear on our mission, clear on our vision. 
people that are do they they go out and achieve. You don't go to Mars like a Elon Musk without some of those details clear and then refining it as you go. We, we're going to refine as we what we don't know. We're going to keep filling in as we go. Every time we make an action step towards what we know, what we know continues to grow and we get more clear on the details because we learn more details along the way. But I say start with what you know and let what you know grow and start with the details you're certain of and only stick to the ones you're certain about that you know in your heart that this is what you're committed to doing and your life's demonstrating it. There's an evidence-based system pointing in that direction. I had a dream to travel to every country on the face of the earth. And I'm now 194 countries as of next week will be 194 countries I've spoken in. And I still got 20 something countries to go to reach that goal that I set when I was 17. I'm just working on it, but I made a list of all the countries. I made a list of all the major cities, made a list of all of them that haven't. I went and got online when the online world came in the nineties, I got pictures of, of theaters, of the ballrooms and the convention centers. And I started to just go look up those cities and look at where it is and just see myself on those stages in my mind's eye. And now 194 countries as of, because Finland will be the next one here in another 10 days, 194 countries. So that, mm -hmm. that is a visual, visual detailed system consistently put in focus. And I've got that in a vision book and I read that and read it, read it, read it, read it constantly. But it's written out. It's written as, out. Have, as, as opposed to images. I have the largest, the largest collection of probably goals and vision book that you've probably ever seen. It's nearly 9,000 pages. It's very detailed with metrics. With metrics to see <laughs> whether we're on track to achieve. I've already listed you. I've already listed you in here. Can I show it to you? Yeah. You already listed. Go you're going to get a kick out of this. So here it is right here. Had the opportunity to be interviewed by Angela Foster, High Performance Health Podcast. So I've, I've already typed it in. I've already, I mean, I, I metric everything I get to do in a day that's congruent with what my intention is. So if I say I want to write for so many magazines, I've done 1,533 magazines now around the world. If I say I want to do so many celebrities or consulting and companies or whatever, I keep records of them, document them, metric them. When you really value something, you'll metric it to, to, so you can ask what's working and not working. And how do I refine it, make it more efficient along the pathway? And you get so clearer and clearer as you go. So, so are you saying here, so I wanted to interview you. You want to be interviewing me. Somehow we're connected then. Because it's yes. in both of our minds, independently. Yep. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> now, <laughs> because this is like, this is synchronicities happening. And what I've noticed is, do you know one of my favorite, I don't know if you've come across Dr. Patrick Porter. Have you come across him? He's the founder of a company Just called BrainTap. Just heard the name. Yeah. Founder of a company called BrainTap. When I do lots of brain tapping, it's kind of like programming your subconscious mind and I get in touch with my dreams. Crazy synchronicities always happen. And I, yes. I believe like the power of the mind is so strong. I don't want to turn this into any way in terms of negativity. I want to share it only because I think it's useful that you can, I believe you can manifest in more ways than one, right? When I was burnt out and in the depths of depression, I was in a very bad place. I created a prison in my own mind. Literally, I just wanted to escape from my mind. And I was only having thoughts of suicide because I just wanted to turn my mind off. That was all I wanted to do. But I was in, I say a prison because I was in a situation where I did not want to leave my children and then be the children of the mother who took her own life. But I also didn't know how to get out of the space that I was in at this point in time. And I believe I attracted ending up in hospital with pneumonia fighting for my life. It actually yep. led to a profound sense of peace. 
because it was the moment that changed my life forever. I couldn't be more grateful for that moment because I connected instead of running away from myself. I couldn't run. Where could I run? I actually used to physically run to try and get away from myself. I was on all kinds of antipsychotic and antidepressant medication to stabilize my mood. But in that moment, I was in the hospital only with myself. And I finally felt a sense of peace. I was okay being me. And at that point, I decided, what the hell's going on? I'm going to have to get well for my children. And my blood work went from me being neutropenic to my white blood cell count coming back within 48 hours when I made that decision. So I 100% believe this. Right When I got well, then it became a mission to help other women. Um, But I believe in that, that what we think about, we become. But in either direction. Is that right? Not And I say that not to scare people, but whatever we do think, spend our time on is where it's kind of going to go. Well, the thing is, this is what's so important about the highest value, because the highest value you spontaneously do, you don't have to discipline yourself to do it. It's something you love doing and just do it. I don't need to be remote, motivated. Mm-hmm. I ask people at seminars, if people have known me, I have students that have been with me for 50 years. They're still hanging out at the seminars. And I said, have you ever seen me need to be motivated to go and research and teach? And they go, no. I said, you don't need motivation. <laughs> motivation is a symptom. If you need motivation, you aren't being authentic. If you need to be reminded to do something, you're not on track. You're automatically, spontaneously, intrinsically called and driven to do what is meaningful to you if you are congruent. And mm-hmm. so your body will create symptoms to get you back to that. Yeah. Every physiological symptom is epigenetically, autonomically, is automatically trying to get you back into authenticity. Every sociological feedback, every business feedback is trying to get you back to authenticity. And the moment you do, you're body flourishes. Your body automatically mm-hmm. takes off again. I've been teaching that for years. And people go, well, what about a, you know this and that? They, they blame these diseases and stuff like that. We put labels on things. But the power of our body that's made the body has the power to transform our body once we're authentic and living congruently and living by priority in life. So once we, we say, whenever we compare ourselves to others and put them on pedestals or pits, we create symptoms in our body to try to get us back and put them in our hearts. Is trying to teach us how to love and and appreciate what we see in others as a reflection of us instead of seeing them as above or below us and then disown parts. We're here to own the parts and be engage and be inclusive, not exclusive. So the second we do, our body does amazing things and lets us know we're now on track again. It confirms it with a gamma burst of synchronous in the brain, a eureka moment, tears in the eyes. Now we have a moment of authenticity. It's a eureka moment. It's amazing. Finding that is. That's the, that's the most significant thing we can do for people, I think, is help them find that. Because mm. then they're just, they don't need motivation. <laughs> and they don't subordinate. You know, you can't make a difference fitting in. You make a difference standing out. And standing out is a unique expression of a unique set of values. And the moment you're doing that, you're on track. And helping people find that is so inspiring to watch. And when they get it, the light bulb goes on, like you said. You found it, yeah. but you 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 went through whatever trials and tribulations to eventually get you back to something that's really meaningful to you. And now you're doing something you love doing. Yeah, and I love it. Your body, physiology, yeah, that's it. We love yeah. it. This is a, I just love it. And, and it. and it means I have time with my kids as well. So it's just like, yeah, it's a joy. I love what I'm yeah. doing now, talking to you. Like it's it's a dream. Yeah. And, and there's there will be a magnitude. Your kids will ought to be be loving around it because you're exemplifying. When I was 18 years old, I, I, my, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, what's a genius? She says, well, it's people like Albert Einstein and Da Vinci. I said, well, then get me every book you can on those guys. I want to start to learn. I want to read. 
so I got this book and I and it, and he said that the greatest teacher's exemplification. Oh, cool. So I wanted to exemplify what I was teaching, which is walk into the talk. Well, you can't do that unless you're congruent. You can't, it's not going to happen. So I said, I want to be able to do what I love doing, which is research and teach and travel the world and get handsomely paid to do that. And so I'm going to not stop until I figure out the strategies and how to do that and then exemplify that because the teaching of that, the exemplification of that is greater teacher than all the words I, I throw out there. That's, that's secondary. The exemplification of it and demonstration of it makes a huge difference. One of my friends has got three Grammy Awards now. And when I met him, he didn't have anything going. He was, he was a hope-to-be musician. He's got three Grammys now. He is very, very clear and concise. We got it narrowed. This guy's amazing. And he's impacting United Nations and countries. And it's just amazing what he's doing. And when we're authentic, the doors of opportunity reward it. People get literally the synchronicity start lining up for opportunities the second you get authentic. That's such a significant thing that people don't realize. The magnificence of who we are is far greater than any fantasies we'll impose on ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. Mm. We're, only here to, we're only here to compare our own actions to our own highest values, not comparing our actions to other people. Because I, I have no desire to be second at being somebody else. I have a desire to be me. Mm. And, and, and Emerson said, you know, envy is ignorance and imitation is suicide. So I have no desire to be anybody but me. I got asked by, by a Vogue magazine one time in an interview. They said, Dr. DiMartino, they had 17 questions. And some of them were a little light. They weren't really deep. And the, the last one they asked me, Dr. DiMartino, if there's anybody in the world you, you could be, who would you like to be? And I looked at it and I said, I have no desire to be anybody but me. I mean, why would somebody want to be that somebody other than themselves? Oh, 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 most people have an answer. I didn't have an answer. I have no desire, Just want to, I have no desire to be anybody but me. Why would I want to be second at being somebody else when I could be first at being me? Doesn't make any sense. Life I was going to say, how could you be do. someone else, right? Yeah. Mm. Why would I want to duplicate something else and be second? I'd be like a second Elvis or something. Mm. You do you best. What with it with affirmations? Then you were talking there. You must. You mentioned a few times. I think you must. Um, a firmness in your mind and you talk about firmness in one's mind what about when these kind of doubts sneak in for people right and and you have these doubts so you want to affirm it because but at the moment you can't yet see it right I remember doing a program with Bob, Pro Bob Proctor and he would talk about planting the seed the seed's always in the dark in the beginning right you can't see it manifesting yet but it's on its way and things are happening at that point how can we remove self-doubt and create that self-belief in ourselves we can succeed okay. in the enterprise. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little deeper on this. Can I do that? Okay. Yeah, please. Be my guest. Yeah. I'm going to say that most people think that doubts and fears and anxieties are terrible things. I don't. Okay. I see them as on the way. So let's say that, let's say I'm in a relationship with somebody and I have an expectation of them to be only nice, never mean, only kind, never cruel, only positive, never negative, always giving, never taking, always generous, never stingy, always considered, never considered, always peaceful, never wrathful, always one-sided. Now, if I have an expectation of them only being one-sided and I get in relationship with them, what's the probability of what's going to happen? I'm probably going to have a letdown because they're going to have both sides. They're going to be nice as a pussycat sometimes, and sometimes they're going to be mean as a tiger. I mean, if I support the values, they're nice. If I challenge the values, they can be tough, like I am, and like most everybody else is. So if I have a fantasy about who they're going to be, I'm going to have a letdown, and I'm going to have 
anger and aggression, blame and betrayal, criticism and challenge, despair and depression, a desire to exit and escape, futility and frustration, what I call the ABCDEFGHs of, of negativity. Those are not enemies. They're letting you know that you have projected an unrealistic expectation and a fantasy on another individual to be something they're not going to be. And we do that on ourselves. We set up fantasies and then we have anxieties and phobias and anxieties and fears and doubts coming in. And those are feedback mechanisms to say, you've got a fantasy. You're not setting a real goal that's really an objective with a real strategy that actually is something deeply meaningful that you're committed to. So refine it. Don't give up on it. Refine it and polish it and mitigate the risks and get clear on what it is and how you're going to do it. And then the anxiety and the fears go away because they're there designed to help you transform fantasies into true objectives that are congruent with what you value that have both sides because you're not going to have it. You're not going to have a goal without both sides in life. There's going to be support and challenge and ease and difficulties and everything else along this, this journey. So those are not our enemies. They're our feedbacks to let us know. And if we're trying to, we get addicted to the fantasy, we're going to see it as failures and, and we'll beat ourselves up and we'll think there's something wrong. But if we understand that there, there are mechanisms to help us refine our objective, to make sure that we're really going after something meaningful, we'll thank them for giving us feedback to guide us on our path of achievement. Mm, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. I remember working with someone yeah. actually who said to me, whenever I felt anxious, that anxiety is just here. Just, just let it be because it's here to serve you on some level and it'll, it'll go when you don't need it anymore. But sometimes it's there well, to it's, spur you into action. If, if, if somebody has a goal, I, I have people in the, in the program I teach called the Breakthrough Experience, which I've done like 1,185 times. Uh, people come in there and they have, I'm having sabotage. I'm having doubt. I'm insecure. I said, let's look at your goal. And I assure you, there's pieces of it that's missing. So let's mitigate the risks of it. What do you, you have a fear of not being smart enough or your fear of maybe failing at it, not making any money at it or losing money doing it. You have the fear of what would the family think or will I have time for the kids or fear of somehow rejection or fear of you don't have the vitality, the health of the beauty, the looks to do it or fear that it might be morally breaking some ethic system that you have. One of those fears, let's find out which ones or more than one that it is and let's mitigate it. Let's go, okay, how do we accomplish that through a different path so we don't have that anxiety. How do we solve that? If we solve that, that anxiety disappears. So that anxiety is there to let us know that we are going after something that's partly still fantasy. We haven't come up with a strategy. The purpose of the strategic planning of the executive center in the forebrain is to transform fantasies into true objectives. People that set real objectives don't have all that doubt. People that set up fantasies have to have that doubt to guide them back to setting real objectives that are aligned with their highest values. And when we align our goals with our highest values, we have the least amount of anxieties and doubts. But those are our friends, not our enemies. Because then we're living a purposeful life, right? And we're, then we're on track. And the second yeah. we get back on track, that disappears. I wonder if I can talk to you about this, because I think I've heard you mention it. And it's something, a piece for me. I, I, I've developed a concept of biosyncing, right? So rather than kind of, I was big into biohacking, but it didn't really fit because I believe that we should be syncing with our goals, our values, our dreams, and with the women, with our female physiology. And one of those things is actually really syncing the nervous system and looking at heart rate variability. And I do this a lot in my programs or with my clients. 
Um, and you can see, obviously, the sympathetic nervous system, uh, parasympathetic nervous system dominance balance when you look at heart rate variability as a metric. Uh, and you can see someone's recovery and their energy and really what that adaptive reserve is. And then you look at their sort of vibrational frequency, the things they are attracting and kind of resonance. And I feel like somehow, and I feel like you're the person that would be able to help me with this, uh, that, that resonance and heart rate variability are kind of one of the same thing and they come together because I've noticed that the more I live in alignment, I can double my HRV, right? And when I go off track, it sort of plummets. I'm just super curious on your perspective on this because I can't really find anything written particularly on this. So there is, there's plenty written on it, but the, the autonomic nervous system has sympathetic and parasympathetic. Mm -hmm. The sympathetic is for design for things that challenge us. It's the fight yeah. or flight side. The parasympathetic is for rest and digest to support us. One's anabolic, parasympathetic. One's catabolic, parasympathetic. One makes the heart rate go up and get blood and glucose and blood pressure up to ready for fight or flight. And the other one calms it down. If they're in perfect sync, perfect balance, heart rate variability is maximized. Most adaptability we have. Mm -hmm. If they are polarized to one side or the other, heart rate variability goes down. So a perfectly balanced mind where it sees the synchronicity of opposites maximize heart rate variability. When we live by our highest values and we're most objective, objectivity means neutral. See, if we're infatuated with somebody, the parasympathetic comes on. If we resent somebody, the sympathetic comes on. If we get the parasympathetic and we get infatuated with somebody, we fear their loss. If we get the sympathetic and we fear the gain of somebody, we fear their gain. So what we do is as long as we're living in a polarized manner, we automatically have the heart rate variability goes down to create symptoms in our body to let us know we're not being authentic. Those symptoms are not terrible things. They're feedback mechanisms. So the heart rate variability is measuring our resilience and adaptability. Our, the inability to adapt is what's called distress. Our ability to adapt, which means that we can handle whatever's happening and see the other side. So if you're infatuated, if you can see the downsides, if you're resentful, if you can see the upsides and center yourself and see both sides simultaneously, you now have the most powerful resilience and the heart rate variability. And we've done that thousands of times on people. And heart rates can, we can transform a heart rate variability from a low rate to a very high rate just by asking questions and neutralizing the mind and making their, their, their become more neutral so they're not fearing the loss or fearing gain of things. So the autonomics, when they're in perfect sync and you're resonant with your highest values, they all go up. They're perfect syncs. Yeah. This so is what I want to see. Amazing, because that that's the piece I was looking for, because I could find lows on it in terms of the science and like Dr. Lego, Lagos's work on it and, and using breath work to do it. But it's that value system and effectively like being in resonance with what you want, right, with your highest purpose. I can see it goes up. And what's interesting is if you look at someone and I put like an ECG track on them right across the day and night and they don't have enough recovery and they're always in sympathetic drive, but they're not enjoying it. It's a form of stress because sometimes you can be in sympathetic, but you're enjoying what you're doing and they don't get any kind of recovery or rebalancing during the day. You see that reflected in their sleep because now the sleep has an intensity to it. And that obviously then is feeding itself the next day, right? Super interesting what you said there then because the mind is playing apart but i, I okay, kind of any anytime mm. you're infatuated with somebody they occupy space and time in the mind anytime you resent somebody they occupy space and time in the mind anytime you love somebody and you have a moment of tears of gratitude for somebody the mind is cleared it's window washed at that moment the heart rate variability skyrockets 
You have what is called a, the parasympathetic activates a delta wave for sleep. The sympathetic activates a beta wave, which is around 13 verse three. You put them together, you get a perfect seven to eight cycle per second alpha theta level. The moment those are in that sync, the gamma bursts come in around 40 cycles per second, synchronizes the brain, takes out the lateralization of the hemispheres, synchronizes and heart rate variability maximizes on the spot. So, and the breath is the, the inhalation was sympathetic, parasympathetic was exhalation. If you put the balanced breath, kind of like a pranayama of the yogi and balance the breath, you balance the mind, you balance the mind, your heart rate variability goes up. So the yogis have using breathing. Some have used meditation. I use a series of questions cognitively or those, but anytime we are able to balance out our perceptions and bring a balance, as Wilhelm Wundt in 1895 said, the second we the see simultaneous opposites synchronously, our brain automatically synchronizes and we got, we got that heart rate variability up again. So cardiovascular specialists know that, they've been watching this for decades, but we now have the capacity to do it with the little monitors we have on our, on our phones now. <laughs> We can monitor it on our fingers or phones today. But without a doubt, the ability to see both sides of, a, of an event simultaneously is the frequency that you resonate on. If, if, you, if you have an event that you think is terrible and it takes you days, weeks, months, or years before you see the terrific in it, or something you're infatuated with and it takes you years before you see the downsides and don't know how to balance out your mind, then your lateralization of the autonomics make the heart rate variability drop. But the second you see both sides simultaneously and you see the hidden order in the chaos, Claude Shannon in his book on information theory and his, and his work on that and uh, two other Nobel Prize winners showed that anytime we're only seeing one side and we're unconscious of the other side, we have disorder and we have disorder and it shows up in the autonomics. The second we see both sides simultaneously, you know, if, if, if I'm in a relationship and I know that there's going to be things I like and dislike, support and challenge me to make me grow. If I get somebody that only supports me, I stay juvenile dependent on them. If I get somebody that challenges me, I become precociously independent. If I get a balance of those, I keep myself centered and authentic. And that's what a healthy relationship is. It keeps you in check. It banters with you to keep you in balance. To get cocky, it humbles. To get low, it lifts. And it's homeostatic. And homeostasis, there's thousands of feedback loops in our brain for homeostasis. When we are authentic, they all line up and synchronize. The sinoatrial node comes into alignment. The supercosmic nucleus and the forebrain automatically comes in. The hypothalamus comes in and balances. We literally have our physiologies trying to teach us how to live a magnificent and inspired life. Every one of those signs and symptoms have been misinterpreted by allopathic physicians sometimes and treated as a condition instead of seen as a feedback on how to live magnificently. Awesome. Thank you for that explanation. What can we do then on, oh, I suppose a question first is that, is to keep that in that equilibrium, keep in the middle. Do we need to create challenges in our life? If we're not creating enough challenge, will we be shown more challenges? You just nailed it. Fantastic statement. If we don't pursue challenges that inspire us, our life will fill up with challenges that don't. When we mm -hmm. pursue challenges that inspire us, we have eustress and mm -hmm. heart rate variability goes up. That means that we're designed to find out the problems that other people face that we would love to solve and philanthropically dedicate our life to finding the problems in the world and make a contribution to serve it to make the difference we want. Pursuing challenges that inspire us that we would like to solve will keep us from having to deal with the challenges we don't. 
When we keep running away from challenges we don't like, we keep having distress and our cytokines show it in the pro and in anti-inflammatory imbalances and the autonomics. But the second we pursue challenges that inspire us and go after something that's deeply meaningful that we wanna make a difference in to help people in the world, are we rally our physiology, we rally our heart rate variability, we have most resilience. And that's why people that stop, retire and don't have any purpose that's meaningful, that, that contributes, they go down pretty quick. Yeah, that's why you see people age very rapidly in retirement, right? If they truly give up. 18 months after they stop doing mm. something that's meaningful, they can go down. Mm. Never retire. Um, are there some daily practices? You've been so gracious with your time. Are there are there some daily practices that you think we should prioritize? Apart from living, obviously, in alignment with our life's purpose, are there certain things that you believe are important in this process? We've talked about writing things down, you know, journaling, meditation, being present to the present moment, things like this. Are there anything that you would say, anything that you do, Dr. Dimitri? All, all of those are meaningful. All those that you just mentioned are great. But I, I think it's wise, the quality of our life is based on the quality of the questions we ask. I think it's wise to collect and accumulate a series of questions that helps us homeostate our life. And the way we do that is by prioritizing. Ask yourself, what is the highest priority action I can be doing today that will help me fulfill the greatest service in this planet that's most meaningful to the greatest number of people in the most efficient, effective manner with the resources that I'm aware of at this moment and stick to that. And if we live by highest priority, we're more resilient, and adaptable. Anybody that's had an agenda that's prioritized in a day, at the end of the day, if they knock it all out, they're more resilient when they come home. But if they had put out fires all day long and never got around to priority, they're a bear when they get home. So prioritizing our life, giving ourselves permission to engage in assisting other people and having careers that they would love by hiring people who would love to do the things we want to delegate and get on to doing the highest priority things that make the biggest service to have the greatest abundance back to us. And then making sure we prioritize what we eat, prioritize what we drink, prioritize who we hang out with, prioritize what we feed our mind. If we're sitting there watching the social media and TV all day long, distracting by distractions all day, we're probably not using our time most effectively. But if we prioritize it, we can take and transform our energy levels to very high levels if we if we do that. We're, we're designed to do what's according to our hierarchy of values to live by priority. And, and wisdom is doing it. Now, that also means giving yourself time for a meditation. Put that as a priority. Giving yourself time for a walk. Giving yourself time to hug people. Give yourself time to go and have conversations and deeply meaningful conversations with people you love. Put that into the priority list on a daily basis. But, and give yourself permission to just do nothing for a second and meditate. All of those are priority lists, but I don't live to eat. I eat to live. I don't, uh, you know, just randomly go around and let the world around push me around. I go in there and take command of what I want in life. And I work towards that because if I don't fill my day with high priority actions that inspire me, it fills up with low priority distractions that don't. So why would I want that? Why not be inspired on a daily basis? I keep a very busy schedule doing what I love doing. And that allows me to a lot of gratitudes. I have the largest collection of gratitude of anybody I've met on the world. Awesome. And when we're setting those goals and we're working on them on a daily basis and we're prioritizing, how far out should those goals be set? Or can you have like your big goal and then on the way to goals? There's, there's no should. Let's take mm -hmm. out the shoulds. And let's go 
As the, Tony the Robbins more, says, more, stop more, shitting all over yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the more congruent you are, the mm. longer those become. Because every time you set a goal and walk your talk and achieve it, you tend to set a bigger goal. And then every time you do that, you tend to set a bigger goal. And eventually the goals go beyond your own mortal life and you start creating legacies. You start creating objectives that are beyond your life. You know, I, I, I could tell a funny story, a wild story. I was in um, Rome doing the Breakthrough Experience, which is my signature program that I do. And afterwards, a lady at the end came up, Antonella, and she said, uh, are you, when are you leaving tomorrow? And I said, I'm leaving in the afternoon. She said, can I take you through Rome and have you walk around in Rome for the morning? I said, I'd love to. So we walked around and right around noon, we came and got this sandwich, this little tuna sandwich in this little shop. And we walked out from it and there was this, this square that was roped off, roped off and covered in red rose petals. It was the size of about half a soccer field. In the middle of the square was a, a bronze statue on a marble based stone base. And it was Giordano Bruno, the great philosopher, theologian and mathematician and, and, and uh, who six, 1600, 400 years earlier was burned at the stake for reading Lucretius's work, which was one of the books of forbidden by the Pope at the time for believing that we lived in an infinite universe with infinite worlds, with infinite beings. Because the church couldn't handle that at the time. They, they were geocentric and not heliocentric at the time. And, and so he, he was burned at the stake 400 years from that day, 400 years earlier, burning that square, that stake. And I was there and they were honoring him 400 years later for being a genius ahead of his times. But before he was burned at the stake, he wrote a posthumous biography of how he wanted to be perceived 500 years in the future. On 400 years later, they were honoring him, matching what he wrote 500 years into the future, 400 years earlier. When I saw that that night, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm inspired to write a posthumous biography of how I want to be perceived a thousand years from now. What impact do I want to do? Seneca, the Roman poet and politician said, you measure an individual by their most distant ends. What is the magnitude of space and time in their innermost dominant thought? And that will tell you the level of conscious evolution they've obtained. So I said, I want to write a thousand year plan. And I have it. I, I wrote that night 23 pages in automatic writing with tears in my eyes, kind of like Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise, just poured it out, wrote it all out, and how I wanted to be perceived and what the, the impact I wanted to do with my work. That was in 1999, almost 2000, almost to the day, the junction. In 2008, I was speaking at the Milk Abbey for the Waldzell Conference with 12 other speakers. There were some Nobel Prize winners, the Dalai Lama was there. There's a very interesting group of people. We were speaking to 200 attendees on six world problems, trying to find solutions for them. On Saturday evening, after our speeches, they had a, a special ceremony, a ritual or whatever. And they asked us to come into the library at the Milk Abbey and stand in a semicircle. And then they turned and handed us stainless steel cylinders. And in my cylinder, it had 365 quotations from my books and the Demartini method, which is my method on conflict resolution, which is what I presented. Polygraphied in gold calligraphy on this beautiful scroll paper, sealed with a ribbon around it, stuck in a stainless steel cylinder, 
And we walked down to the very end of that library, to the Infinity of Divinity library room. They opened up the vault where they store ancient scrolls. And we went in there and the Infinity of Divinity 12-foot library shelf, I got to put my cylinder in the middle of that to be stored for 1,000 years. One of the things I wrote on my thousand year book, you know, posthumous biography was that I wanted to make a contribution a thousand years from now and the method will still be here a thousand years from now. That happened in 2008. Tears coming out of my eyes. I'm putting that in that cylinder and I thought, wow, our innermost dominant thought becomes our outermost tangible reality. What we think about, what we visualize, what we affirm, what we feel, what we write, as Paul Bragg said, is now reality. Extraordinary. Did you even did you even expect that to happen in your lifetime? I thought it was going to be after I passed. Yeah. that happened. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, thank amazing. you for sharing so, that. That's amazing. I, I'm a firm believer that time times intensity gives result. The more intensely you focus and the more detailed your focus is on the clarity of the vision. I spend sometimes on my goals, I'll spend three hours on just one paragraph exactly how I want it. I just keep editing it, editing it, editing it until it's clear, until it brings a tear to my eye. I want a tear in the eye as a confirmation of authentic writings. So it's not a fantasy. It's something that I'm clear that I have a strategy in my mind. I can see it in my mind's eye and I'm willing to take action on it. And do you put that's, a date that's, that's, on when you expect to achieve it? Do you, do you in date some cases, they're short-term. If they're short-term, yes. If they're for life, I may put them in there. Yeah. My, my dream was to go through and spend, go to every country on the face of the earth. I didn't say by the first week, but just in my life. So some, some goals are in time and space, some are through time and space. And the, the more you achieve, the more they go through time and space and they go into immortality. They go beyond your life. Some things will accomplish, be accomplished way beyond life. Like, like uh, Bruno's work, his work is now appreciated. And Cosmos, Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse, whatever, both of them refer to Bruno in their, in their Cosmos. So across the world, 100 million people now have seen that and referring to Bruno and what he did. Here's a guy that wrote that down 430 years earlier, 423 years earlier, he wrote that down. And now it's, it's going around the world. Everybody knows Bruno in the area of physics and mathematics and theology. Lives on. Amazing. Amazing. You've blown me away with this. Um, before you go, in the morning and the evening, as do you have is there anything in particular that you do? Dr. D Martini, how do you how do you well, start your day and how do you end your day? I feel like there would be some insight. I have a very strange thing. Um, I'm about to in Wednesday I start a 10-day program in the United States from on Zoom from where I am. Well, I'll be in Sweden by then and then heading up to Finland. So I'm in different time zones. I'm sailing around the world. I'm going into every imaginable time zone from the Antarctic to the Arctic to around the world many times. So I have different time zones. So my morning may be evening and my evening may be morning because if I'm doing something live somewhere in another mm. country, in India, I'm in sometimes four time zones in a, in a week. So I, I don't have a, a morning ritual exactly because mm. it may be evening ritual. But I typically get up in the morning and I have a series of statements that I've said to myself, you know, the first one I got from Paul Bragg is that I'm a genius and I apply my wisdom. And I've never, he told me to say that every single day and never miss a day for the rest of my life. I've never missed a day in 50, almost one years. So that is a statement. I'm a master of persistence. I do whatever it takes. I have a photographic, autographic mind, whatever I read or retain. I started to identify how I wanted my life 
and I just go through those in my morning. And then I drink some water and I brush my teeth and I clean up, shower and everything else. And then I'm basically going on to usually go and have some, I have my breakfast, usually some fresh fruit and some yogurt, Greek yogurt and some multigrain bread or multigrain cereal or something. And then I go to work and I'm either teaching, researching or writing I, I, as I travel. I don't have anything else I need to do. I've delegated everything else. <laughs> I don't have anything to do. It's all delegated. So I just teach, research, write. Today, I've been spending time research, writing, and doing podcasts and doing webinars. And I just teach, research, and write and travel. That's my, that's, you know, it's very simple for me. I don't have a lot of complexity. A lot of people have other stuff to do. I don't have anything else to do. Mm -hmm. I don't cook. I haven't driven a car in 33 years. I haven't cooked since I was 24. Anytime I, anytime something remind, has to be motivated or incentivized or, you know, to get me to do it from the outside, I delegate. Anything that I require outside motivation to do, I delegate it to somebody who loves doing it. And anything that I'm inspired to do, I just stick to. And it's teach, research, and write and travel. I, I think I heard you is, say, and, and you do it. I think I heard you say that if you do the things that are lower on your priority, that you're not inspired to you do, devalue you devalue and you, your self-worth goes down. Yeah, yeah. you go, and, and, and you don't get the synchronicities. The synchronicities are confirmations of authenticity. And in the way that in the, in the brain, any sensory input that goes into the spinal cord or goes into the brainstem passes through before it goes into the cortex through what is called the gate filtering process of the pulmonary nuclei of the thalamus. And that information goes up and it's filtered there. And the thing that determines that is your values. So if you're, if you're whatever's highest on your value, you're filtering out the infinitude of reality through that filter process to make sure that you're focused on what's priority. Your brain is trying to help you maximize your potential in life. But what we do is we subordinate to people and we compare ourselves, we distract ourselves, we think we should, we live by moral hypocrisies, and then we end up going, we're setting up fantasies, and then we end up not accessing the great synchronicities that are there in our life. And that's when we're actually in, realize that we have so much to be grateful for when we see these synchronicities of opportunities manifest. Amazing. Is there anything else you would like to share before we close the interview? Share so much. I've, I've learned a ton on, on this interview. Thank well, you. Whoever's out there, just say to yourself on a daily basis, no matter what I've done or not done, I'm worthy of love. Because a lot of times you're judging yourself relative to others and putting yourself on pedestals of pits. And if you're exaggerating or minimizing yourself, you're not being yourself. And how are you going to be loved for who you are if you're not even being who you are? And give yourself permission to shine, not shrink. Don't uh, compare yourself to others. Compare your daily actions to your own highest value and, and measure that. Because other people's opinions are not what counts. I, I got to share this last story. I, I was 18 years old, 18 years old, and I'm driving to Wharton Junior College trying to go back to school, right, after being a, a long-haired hippie surfer guy, trying to go back to school. And I'm driving with this guy who had a dream to build magnetic trains as an engineer, which he went on to do. The magnetic trains we see today, part of his creation. Wow. It's tear-jerking to think about how he did that. Mm. He, he never gave up on it. I had a dream to travel the world and teach and study philosophy in, in every discipline and be a polymath. One day, we let another guy drive with us who was this kind of wealthy, spoiled little kind of brat guy that his parents kind of took care of him. And he was kind of cocky to other people and put them down. You know, that kind of, if you can picture that, a bully kind of kid. But we gave him a ride and we were talking about our dreams and he was in the back seat and he says, yeah, 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 sure. Martini, sure. 
yeah, you're probably going to work in the cotton gin. Come on, get real, man. You're not going to, then he was, he was ridiculing and you're, you're going to build magnetic trench. Sure. Go work in the cotton gin. And we thought, what a, what a weird guy, you know, he did, he's, you know, raining on our parade kind of thing. <clears throat> so we decided we're not going to let him go with us anymore. We're just going to drive by ourselves. Well, about a year to two years ago, I was on a webinar online in zoom during COVID <laughs> and I got a post and I didn't get it because I'm busy talking, but my, my director gets a post and it says, is that the Demartini from Richmond, Texas? John Demartini? And, and she sends it to me. There's a guy named this. If you heard, do you remember this guy's name? And, and I, I said, I absolutely remember the name. I said, and I said, that's the guy that I told you about that was in the car that laughed and said, that's ridiculous. And so I sent over a message back. I said, yes, how are you doing? I haven't heard from you in 50 friggin' years or 48 years. What's going on? You know, he says, and all he said was this, you friggin' did it, man. So whoever's listening out there, don't let any human being on the face of the earth stop you from what you know in your heart you're called to do. Give yourself permission to shine, not shrink, to radiate, not gravitate, and to go after something incrementally and just take little baby steps until they become big dreams. And don't stop. Don't stop. <laughs> I figure that if I just keep going, everybody else will die out and I'll end up getting there someday. Just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> you're doing amazing work. That's such great advice as well. Because you're controlling the process, right? When you focus on the process, but you have the dream. Yeah. So much more. You intuitive. only have control of you only have control over your perceptions, decisions, and actions. Quit trying to control the other stuff. Control what you have control over: your perceptions, master prioritizing perceptions, master prioritizing decisions, master prioritizing actions. If you do that, you will be unstoppable. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That's such an amazing note to end it on. Um, I'm sure you've you've left me wanting more. I'm sure you have many others. Where can they come and connect with you? Go to drdmartini.com or go to the Dr. Demartini show, which is the, the little podcast we do. And those two will keep you busy. <laughs> if you go on drdmartini.com, go on to do the value determination process. It's free. It's private. And, uh, and just browse. You're, you're going to probably have to believe in some sort of a reincarnation Buddhist idea because you're not going to be able to see everything on there in one life. It's got so much on there. It'll keep you busy. Keep you very busy. Keep drinking from that well. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so gracious and spending time and inspiring so many people, uh, including myself. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show. If you enjoy this podcast, visit femalebiohacker.com and be part of a special community of women looking to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. If you're tired of sifting through countless websites and books to find the answers to your questions about nutrition, fitness, hormones, mindset, spirituality, and biohacking, the search is over. I've done the research for you and every week we go live with in-depth masterclasses, Q&A calls and monthly challenges to help you transform your life. And when you join the collective, you'll have access to a wealth of information, including deep dive masterclasses and biohacking toolkits on our members' favorites like metabolic flexibility, gut health, stress and resiliency, and stepping into your most empowered self. Get access and be coached by me and my team and level up your health, career, and life, all for less than a dollar a day. Go to femalebiohacker.com or click the link below to get started. And I'll see you on the inside.